Welcome to We Need to Talk About Tech, where we talk about the past, present, and future of technology. Okay, hello everyone in podcast land. On this episode of the podcast, we talk about VR news. Both Apple and Sony are preparing their VR headsets. We talk about Steam Deck getting replacement parts via iFixit. And we talk about Lucid Recalls. All of Lucid Air's cars have been recalled for 2022. Okay, topic number one. We're going to be talking about VR headsets and virtual reality news. So WWC, which is Apple's developer conference, is happening next week. There's been quite a bit of speculation as to whether or not Apple is going to either announce their headset officially or if they might show off a demo of their headset or even just talk about virtual reality in general. I mean, part of the reason for this is there's been quite a bit of news circulating around Apple's headset. There was apparently a demo of their upcoming AR slash VR headset that was given to the board of directors for Apple. So they seem to have some sort of work and prototype that they're willing to show people. Also in February, a few developers found references in the App Store to something called Reality OS which seems to be the name for, or at least, you know, the placeholder name right now for Apple's operating system that will run on their virtual reality or augmented reality headsets. There's also news that Reality OS has been registered in multiple countries by a company associated with Apple. So it seems like, you know, behind the scenes, Apple is gearing up for, if not a launch, at least an announcement to say, hey, we have this virtual reality headset coming out. And if it doesn't happen next week, if it doesn't happen at WWDC, there, there's still more speculation, right? Apple typically has, I think, three more events coming out. They have WWDC this week. They usually have an iPhone event in September. And probably around the end of the year, they'll have uh, one more thing event in November. So there's still plenty of opportunity for them to announce it by the end of this year. And a lot of people are saying it's probably going to launch, it's probably going to be available for customers to purchase in the beginning of 2023. So quarter one, 2023, Q1. I'm excited to see what they come out with. I mean, anytime Apple launches into a, you know, in, anytime they launch into a product line or, you know, a revenue stream, it seems like the industry follows. So I think even just from the fact even just thinking, I'm probably not going to buy Apple's augmented or virtual reality headset because I'm sure it's going to be very well designed, but very overpriced. If you look at how much their, you know, their what Pro Max AirPods cost, so probably not going to buy the Apple headset. But I think simply them getting into it, them having a product, means more people are going to be interested in it. Means there's going to be more companies getting into the space and so more options for us as consumers. But I guess I'm interested to know what have you heard of Apple's, you know, VR headset, their upcoming AR headset, possibly. I know you're typically not someone excited for virtual reality, but are you, are you still, you know, nonetheless excited to see what Apple has to offer them being so good at designing things, being so good at marketing, they make everything they do seem magical. I mean, Say virtual reality is something that's probably is close to magic for a lot of people. But what have you heard of this Apple VR AR headset? So I haven't heard too much. Uh, basically, 
from what I've heard, it sounds like, you know, we've been hearing for a while Apple wants to get into augmented reality. Uh, and they were kind of the first ones in the conversation around augmented reality, specifically when it came to, obviously, Google Glass was before that, but more on the, the side of the conversation was really around just almost like regular glasses that would be able to overlay information um, to you. And I've said on this podcast in the past, I think that's fantastic. Uh, even the little demo that Google did with their, you know, future AR product seemed really cool to me. I thought it was perfect and, and I can't wait for something like that to exist. Apple doing something like that, I think it could either go two ways. One, either they focus on the build quality and the materials used to make it, kind of like they did with the AirPods Max, uh, and make it kind of a prestigious device that way, even if it's functionally maybe not up to spec in terms of what it gives you for the price, but also forging out a category that no one else exists in, right? There's no real competition to the AirPods Max uh, because no one would have thought to make a $500 pair of headphones that don't have a headphone jack. So, you know, there, there's there's that. But then there's also the opportunity of, like you mentioned, usually when Apple releases a product, they kind of bring the entire industry along with them. They did it with the Apple Watch. They obviously did it with the iPhone. Uh, they've done it a lot with the MacBooks. You know, the moment they started removing USB ports and, and all this stuff, the market kind of followed suit. They could maybe do the same thing with these glasses uh, if they want to focus specifically on software. And it, it, I think what it's going to come down to is how information is relayed to you and how these things look. If they look like they're this big technology headset that's on your face and it's really obvious, I don't think Apple will be able to market something like that really well. But if it is something that's very sleek, very minimalist, uh, isn't too obtrusive design-wise and, and fashion-wise, I think that's where they can they can really catch a lot of eyeballs regardless of what they charge for it. I think they could charge whatever they want for it as long as it looks cool and it operates well. Now, how they're going to pull that off, I don't know. It seems like we're still quite a while away from a product that could deliver all of that. So I don't know, like you mentioned, WWDC is coming up. Uh, I don't know if we'll see any AR product there or a specific product talked about i would be really surprised if we do although i think that would be really cool but what i would imagine that we might see is you know apple and its pro devices have done a lot of things with cameras and lidar and stuff like that i wouldn't be surprised if they encourage developers to use that tech a little bit more for how to relay information on um you know the world around you kind of like they did with you know their their furniture where you can put a piece of furniture in your living room and actually see what it is to scale in that room mm -hmm. uh, based on the LIDAR and the cameras that you have. I could imagine them encouraging developers to go even further and do things that maybe there isn't the hardware right now where that would be super useful, but at least they can get the the tools out there to developers so that when this thing finally does come out, uh, it, it's it's going to be a pretty seamless transition for developers to say, hey, we already know how this LIDAR works. We know how these cameras work. We know how to relay information on, onto screens and onto you know right, right next to your eyes, so that it can be intuitive and and you know easy to read and and kind of cool. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see hints 
at an AR future, but not necessarily an AR product. That being said, if they did show something, I'm sure it would be super, super cool. Yeah, sure. It'd be cool or be, you know, surgical grade aluminum (laughs) or aerospace grade. And yeah, I'm sure whatever they do end up coming with, I'm sure it's going to look cool. Yeah, I don't like, is it going to be as uh, technically impressive as something like the Valve Index? Right? Is it going to be yeah. even? Is it even going to be as technically impressive as something like the Meta Quest Two, which you know, formerly known as the Oculus Quest Two, because mm-hmm. they've they don't have the same experience. I mean, hey, they launched the iPhone; they didn't have as much experience in smartphones. So, not to say it's impossible, but there are quite a few companies that already have virtual reality headsets that already have products out there that you know have been making good products so far, very good products, you know, some might even say great products. So I'm definitely interested to see when they eventually launch it. But, you know, you brought up a good point about them and their LiDAR sensors on their pro devices. You know, they've already kind of started the, they've already kind of started the ecosystem of augmented reality. Now it's being viewed for your, through your phone, through your tablet. So not necessarily the same as glasses or a headset. But they, you know, they've already started developers thinking about AR and, you know, you're definitely right. They could have more of an AR focus this WWDC next week without even saying, hey, we have a headset coming out, even though they know everyone's talking about it. There's a lot of buzz around it. They could have a heavy focus on AR. And then at the end, they say we have a product coming out later on this year that or being announced later on this year. That I think, you know, everyone in the AR community, everyone in the VR community is going to be excited about. So that way they kind of say it without actually saying it. Mm. I mean, maybe they'll have an, a LiDAR sensor camera. Probably not. Just a standalone camera. Probably not. Doesn't make much sense. But, you know, speaking of companies that already have VR headsets out there, there's another company, PlayStation, that is supposed to be coming out with a headset sometime soon. Now, we have, you know, we have a lot of product details about it. We've seen the controllers. We've seen the headset. We have a list of all the features that this new headset and new controllers are going to allow. But we still don't have a release date for the PSVR 2. People are saying it's not going to come out in 2022. I think originally we were hoping that, you know, holiday season this year was going to come out. But now it's looking like it's not going to come out until Q1 2023. So the same time that the Apple headset is expected. We're recording on Wednesday. Tomorrow is the PlayStation State of Play. A lot of people are thinking that, okay, this, or I think PlayStation has actually said that they're going to have more of a showcase of multiple games. For the past couple of State of Plays, I think it's been more of a one-game focus. I think, you know, the last one was on Harry Potter, the Harry Potter RPG that's coming out. I think the one before that was on Gran Turismo. But this is supposed to be more of a showcase on their third-party games, as well as PSVR 2 games that are in development or getting close to being done. You know, we already know that Horizon, I think it's Call of the West, I think that's what it's called, or Call of the Mountain, something like that. They already have a Horizon VR game that they've shown off, a slight demo of. We're probably going to hear more about that. We're probably going to get some news about their PSVR 2 Hopefully, we get an actual announcement for it. But yeah, that's another product in virtual reality from a company that has products in, or has a product in virtual reality already. 
And it's one that I'm definitely looking forward to. I think the industry at large is looking forward to it. And it's kind of, it's more tangible than Apple also, right? Because we have, mm-hmm. one, we have experience with their VR product. And two, we know what it's going to look like. We know what it's going to be able to do. You know, we don't know what the Apple headset's going to look like. We've seen renders and everything, but we haven't seen anything from Apple. We don't know what it's going to be able to do. You know, PSVR 2, we know, okay, this the main purpose is going to be video games. But for the Apple headset, what is the main purpose going to be? Is it going to be for their Apple Arcade? Is it going to be for watching music videos? Is it going to be for watching, you know, their Apple TV uh, you know, shows, movies. And also, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, how are you going to control it, right? We know, okay, PlayStation has a controller, Oculus has controllers, the Index has controllers. So then is Apple designing controllers for their their Apple AR, VR system? Or are, do they have some other way of, are they going to be tracking your hands? Are you going to be using your phone? Or do they have some other you know, completely unthought of method of controlling the VR headset that they're coming out with. But I guess, what are your thoughts on the PSVR 2 coming up? Yeah, as much as I'm not the biggest VR guy, I got to say out of all the headsets, the PSVR 2 looks the most interesting uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it's it's wired, but it's a one cable setup, something that they talked about when they first announced it, even before they showed it, which is a huge... Uh, you know, leap over the original PSVR, which needed its own breakout box with a bunch of cables and stuff like that. That's not necessary anymore. But on top of that, the design of it is just, it seems like it would be the most comfortable headset. You know, it's got this headband that goes around your head and, you know, the the headset just tilts over your eyes. It looks lighter than a lot of the competition. Uh, it, It just looks really, really cool. And, you know, there was some talk, I think he even mentioned it on this podcast, where it seemed like this thing wasn't going to come out this year. But, uh, you know, Xbox has been struggling to get anything out this year. Uh, and I really think Sony could really light the world on fire if, you know, we get the PSVR 2 this year with that Horizon game. And honestly, I think the way that you end that show is you show Half-Life Alex. And if you say, hey, Half-Life Alex is coming out on PlayStation 5, this holiday season with the PlayStation VR 2 headset, uh, that's that's a win. That's that's a huge uh, step up for them for this holiday season to, one, you know, PlayStation 5s are already selling like crazy. Mm-hmm. You, you, can't, you still can't even get them. It's almost two years later and you still can't get a PS5. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who are going to feel the same way about PSVR 2. I'm sure if they can get it out there this year, it's going to sell as many as they can make capitalize on that hype right that they have right now uh so yeah i'm really excited for this but you did mention another interesting thing there about controllers right the psvr 2 controllers look very cool uh, and they're very video game focused apple has not been the highest when it comes to to video game tech so when i envision like this this potential apple ar glass kind of product i wouldn't be surprised if it's something a lot more minimal than what we would get from like a Sony or an Oculus or a Meta. I wouldn't be surprised if even the first version, if they do show something at this year's WWDC, if it's potentially just more of a fashion product, it looks really cool, it has all these great build materials, uh, and maybe has a small portion of the glasses where you can see some kind of information and Siri support. But other than that, maybe not much else. Maybe some GPS, maybe some 
some general directions, integration with Apple Maps. And I would imagine maybe the way that you would control it is either through your phone, your Apple Watch, or maybe there's like a touch band on the side of it. And the reason why I say that is Apple loves their ecosystem, right? They want their products to work really well integrated with each other. Mm -hmm. And I could imagine that these glasses at first could be a very, an accessory to the iPhone and to the Apple Watch, as opposed to a replacement as what Google was looking for. Um, and I, I think they could be really successful with, with that, especially like you mentioned, they're so great at marketing. Um, so I think they're kind of both Apple and Sony and even Meta. I think Sony and Meta are, are in a little bit more competition with each other. But I think overall, you know, Meta is going for the metaverse. Uh, Apple, I think, is going for the fashion AR product. And I think Sony is going to try to make the best VR gaming headset out there. And I think they can all be successful in their own niches. Uh, I think Apple probably has the best chance uh, of being successful for like the vast majority of people. Mm -hmm. uh, but overall, I think Sony is probably going to execute the best in terms of what a VR headset could be uh, specifically for gaming and also just in terms of comfort and, and image quality and all that stuff. Because... You know, look what they did with the PlayStation VR 1 at a time when VR was still really kind of new. And I, I clearly they have the expertise. They know how to build on that. I, I think they're just going to knock this one out of the park. And if it can come out this year, I think that's huge. But for you, do you think, one, that we will see PSVR release date this year and maybe even Half-Life Alex release date this year at uh, their state of play? Do you think that's likely? And do you think that they could potentially be the best to succeed? Or do you think Apple's take is, might be a little bit more more beneficial overall? I don't think it's likely we're going to get the PSVR 2 or Half-Life Alex this year. I think early next year. You know, as you mentioned, PlayStation is struggling just to get their systems out. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, along with the... Along with this shortage, the global chip shortage that has, I don't know, continued to go on. There's, from what I understand, there's other components that are, you know, that they are running out of, which is part of why their consoles are delayed too, is because it's not just chips. There's other stuff that they need to make these consoles, just like there's other things that they need to make the headset. So I think, you know, for all of that, I don't think it's going to come out. I think they are going to heavily focus on VR. I'm not going to say they won't announce Half-Life Alex at, at the state of play. That would be amazing to see. But I think if they announce anything for VR, I think it's going to be, you know, quarter one, 2023 release. Um, and I think that PlayStation will be more successful. And I think that simply because, well, I, I think that's simply because VR, AR is much more, associated with gaming i think people i think people who are interested in vr and ar headsets are interested for it because they want to game with it mm -hmm. because they're interested in that experience and gaming is definitely moving more towards augmented reality and virtual reality as you know as i just said i don't really know what the focus of apple's ar vr headset is going to be like maybe it is going to be something like what Google was showing off with their demo. Maybe it's going to be more augmented reality glasses as a supplement to your, you know, your Apple watch to your iPhone as a supplement to that. But 
when I look at the the market at large, I'd say the majority of iPhone users don't care about augmented and virtual reality. Mm. No, as we said, Apple's, you know, they're magicians when it comes to marketing. I'm sure they can make a lot of people that don't care about augmented reality start to care about augmented reality, even if it's just, you know, even if it's just for the fashion purposes of, of it, you know, oh, you got those new Apple glasses. I think those are so cool. But when it comes to like a an actual adoption of the technology, I think Sony will be more successful than Apple. I mean, maybe Apple will cost Apple's products will cost twice as much as Sony's VR headset, so they just need to sell half the number, maybe. But I think when it's all said and done, I think Sony's VR headset will be more successful than Apple's headset. But, you know, who knows? I'm sure a lot of people said that before the iPhone, so. All right, so our second topic for the podcast is about the Steam Deck. The Steam Deck, this great handheld PC slash console that Valve released uh earlier this year late last year been delayed a couple of times but one thing that they did talk about even before it came out was that they wanted to take repairability very seriously and they announced that they were partnering with iFixit and they were going to produce uh guides for how to repair the the device teardowns breakdowns and also replacement parts for things like displays and and storage so that if something does go wrong with the device especially if it's outside of warranty, you can fix it yourself. And that day has come. They finally announced uh, and launched their replacement parts with iFixit. You can actually order these products right now. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you go to their website, you can get things like the the screen, uh, a, a whole repair kit with all the tools that you need to replace the screen and stuff like that. Or you can just get the screen separately. It's It's very interesting when we talk about like what framework has done uh, with their products, which is even far beyond what, what Steam Deck is doing right now by providing full replacement boards, which is not yet available for the Steam Deck and may never be. And also what we've seen from from Apple, right, of, you know, them kind of restricting repairability and same thing with, with Microsoft, with, you know, shareholders coming out saying, hey, they have to take more interest in repairability going forward. Other than Framework, uh, Valve right here is has been the first to actually offer the products with this deal with iFixit. We've heard a lot of companies, including Google um, and Microsoft, talk about maybe this is something that they want to do in the future, but this is our first look at it, and it looks really good. I, I got to admit, uh, there are full breakdowns of what step-by-step of what you need to do to replace a specific part. They'll even rate it on how difficult it might be, from easy to moderate to difficult, um, and they'll walk you through step-by-step while also selling you the parts. But also, it's not a situation like with Apple's repair where... They are encouraging you to spend a ridiculous amount of money on uh, on tools to repair the device because from day one, Valve designed this thing to be repairable. So you can get into it with you know a regular screwdriver and regular plastic spudgers and stuff like that. You don't need specialized equipment to change anything here. And I think that's really, really cool to see. And like I said, I... I've had a pre-order for a Steam Deck for a while. I don't think I'll ever get it. Um, they're really struggling to get these things out there, uh, just like everyone else is. But it's one of those things that really make me uh, excited for Steam Deck owners that if something does go wrong, if you accidentally drop it and you scratch your screen, if you know something goes bad with storage, because it will eventually at some point, or you know the 
one issue I'm having with my Switch right now, the dreaded Joy-Con drift, right? Uh, I don't have to go out and spend $100 on new Joy-Cons. Uh, with the Steam Deck, you can literally just buy new joysticks and swap them out. And even Valve showed in their, their initial teardown before the product even released how easy it is and how easy they designed it so that you can swap out those joysticks. So it, it's stuff like that that um, really is is just so cool to see. And when we talk about, especially what we talked about with Framework on the last podcast, it's just amazing to see that this could potentially be a very real trend of repairability. And in our last topic, we talked about how, you know, Apple likes to set trends. You know, they set trends with all their products or iPhones and potentially even these new AR glasses. I like the fact that there's some defiance from companies to go against what Apple's doing in terms of repairability and say, hey, no, this is actually something that's really important and people actually care about it um, and instead of just following Apple's Apple suit. But I don't know. How do you feel about, uh, you know, these products to repair your Steam Deck being available through iFixit? Would you rather them be doing it themselves? Do you want to see it from more people? And do you think that this thing will catch on, this this repairability kind of renaissance that we're having right now? Or do you think Apple's Apple's model might win out? I think it's great. Love what Steam Deck is doing. The fact that they're partnering with iFixit, I think is a very good thing also. I, you know, they understand the role that a site that a company like iFixit plays in a, you know, in the right to repair community. And I think the fact that they're partnering with them is kind of showing that, you know, this isn't just lip service. We're not just saying it so we, you know, we get a, a we can pat ourselves on the back or, you know, we get a gold star to say, hey, you know, we we don't want the headlines to say Valve lets you repair the Steam Deck. We want to actually make it easier for you to do. And I think, you know, them recognizing that, hey, I fix it has a community of people that are solely dedicated to repairing products. And they have ironed out a way, they have worked out a way, one, to make it, you know, they have videos, they have walkthroughs, like you mentioned, that will show people step-by-step how to repair their products. They've made it easy for people to repair phones, repair laptops, repair all kinds of stuff on their own. So I think they understand that, okay, iFixit is big in the right to repair community, they figured out a way to communicate to people how to repair stuff and how to supply stuff to them. So I think them partnering with iFixit just shows how dedicated they are to this. If they could do it on their own, that'd be great too. But I think them showing that, hey, you know, we know that I this is iFixit's thing to make it easier for everyone and probably even easier for Steam Deck also. You know, they can kind of outsource some of the the repair work or, you know, some of the supplying of repair work to iFixit. I think it's a win-win for them, for iFixit, for the community, you know, the community members at large. And I think their way is definitely going to win out, especially when you compare it to what Apple is doing. You know, we've talked in the past about how, you know, how almost impossible it is to get, you know, get parts to repair your own iPhone. Or, you know, your own Apple products. You know, we've mentioned, what, there's only three products right now that you can repair through Apple's system. And I don't think we've explicitly mentioned this before, but when they send you a repair kit, let's say to fix your phone, for iFixit, they might send you, you know, maybe like a a small box. Okay, this is a spudger. 
this is you know something to remove the screen with this is a plunger to remove the screen with with apple i think it's you have to pay a thousand dollar deposit to get a big machine that comes in a pelican case i've heard stories of someone ordered it to repair their device when you get the the machine to remove the screen you have seven days from when you get that machine in order to return it to apple or you get charged a full thousand dollars of you know quote unquote rental but they didn't get the replacement screen until two days after they got the device which left them only five days to try and repair their screen and also their instructions aren't like iFixits. They are they aren't simple step-by-step walkthroughs that were made to be easy for the average consumer to do. You know, they're very technical manuals, very technical jargon involved. Not easy for the consumer, not easy for someone who's trying to one, you know, maybe save some money repairing it themselves, maybe save some time repairing it themselves so they don't have to send it off to the genius bar and then wait to get it back. And also maybe for someone who's just interested in how their device works and, you know, get in, maybe maybe they appreciate how well iPhones are put together and they say, hey, you know, I really like this device. I want to kind of get a look at the inside, see how it works, try and put it together myself or fix it myself so I can appreciate what Apple does that much more better. But, you know, Apple pretty much just said screw you to their consumers and they're not making it easy for them. So mm-hmm. in a roundabout way, I think love what steam is doing i love what steam's what the steam deck is you already know i love what the framework laptop is i think you know you put it beautifully the right to repair renaissance you know i think it's going to catch on with a lot more companies and unfortunately you know maybe you don't get your steam deck maybe by the time you get your steam deck they've come out with the steam deck too wouldn't be surprised (laughs) but i think another thing that's that's cool to see is they're they have repair parts from iFixit, but they technically have upgrades too. You know, if you decided that, hey, you got the entry-level Steam Deck, right? If you want the anti-glare screen that only comes on the, the version with 512 gigabytes of storage, you can buy that straight from iFixit and upgrade the screen yourself. I think there's a fan that's supposed to be quieter, the Huaying fan. It's supposed to be slightly quieter. If you don't have that in your version, you can buy from iFixit and upgrade that yourself. And, you know, we've just seen Framework Laptop come out with their second generation motherboard and, or yeah, their second generation motherboard, the newest Intel chip. Maybe by the time you eventually get your Steam Deck, you know, all joking aside, they do announce the Steam Deck too. But really the only upgrade is, hey, we have a new AMD processor. We have an upgraded motherboard. You just have to buy that for maybe, let's say, $100, and you could repair it yourself if you're up for the task. And then it's not, okay, well, I have this old, outdated product, and you know, there's a new version out, and then do I have to spend another you know, three, $400 to get the brand new version? Well, no. If all you need is a slightly faster processor, you can buy that part, upgrade it yourself. And I think I, I love this model. I hope it continues to catch on. Um, yeah, I don't know. This is this right to repair news is making me very excited for the future of products. Hopefully it continues. Hopefully, you know, we get more phones that are focused around right to repair. But I think it's a very good sign for the future. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And and specifically where I really hope this goes is this stuff being designed 
to be repaired from the beginning. Like, could you imagine if an iPhone was designed to have the screen replaced really easily or the black back glass replaced really easily? I wouldn't be as worried about buying a, you know, $1,400 phone and accidentally dropping it and shattering the back glass because I know, hey, I could just go to a website, order a new one and, and change it out myself. If that ever becomes a reality, I mean, that's that's good for everybody. It's good for Apple. They'll make more money off, you know, people's shattered phones. <laughs> and, you know, the consumer will be a lot happy because they don't have to walk around with a broken phone all the time, um, which, I mean, I don't know about you, but I see broken iPhones all the time. See them I imagine, a lot. Yeah. And I imagine if you could just replace it yourself easily, because that's the way it was designed, I think people would be a lot happier. A lot happier. And our third topic of the podcast is about electric vehicles. Uh, Lucid uh, is a brand new electric car company that introduced their brand new Lucid Air vehicle. It's a four-door sedan that is supposed to be very fast and very luxurious to compete with the Tesla Model S. Uh, But unfortunately, it's been having some issues. And all of its 2022 models are being recalled due to wiring issues. Apparently, there are some exposed... Uh, or unsecured wires along the the glass canopy of the vehicle. Uh, And this is leading to a recall that applies to apparently over 1,100 vehicles uh, at this point. And this is a little bit concerning for a couple of reasons. One, uh, it's been very kind of apparent that Lucid has been struggling to deliver cars. Uh, And they're not the only ones. Rivian has as well. It seems like these new uh, players to the industry are starting to realize, I think what Tesla has been realizing for a while, that making cars can be difficult, even if, you know, electric vehicles are a lot less complex than a traditional gas powered vehicle. There's still a lot of things that can happen along the supply chain that can cause issues. And what makes this a little bit even more concerning than that is that this is the second recall that they've had in uh, a short amount of time. They've had a previous recall. I believe a few months ago for issues with their their lucid air dream model vehicles that were released so it seems like this is multiple recalls in uh, a short amount of time and the previous recall had to deal deal with one of their vendors their vendors uh essentially defective from the factory so you know because they have to deal with all these companies to make these cars you know the supply chain uh, someone particularly in their supply chain could mess something up it gets into the car and then all of a sudden they have to recall a bunch of cars, which is not helpful for when you're just struggling to get them out there in the first place. Now, Lucid has mentioned that this particular recall uh, of just about a thousand vehicles or over a thousand vehicles, actually, the actual issue or the defect should only impact, I think what they're saying is about 1% of those. If that's true, I think that still remains to be seen, but they do want to get all these vehicles back so that they can inspect them to make sure that this issue isn't uh, in your particular vehicle. I imagine for anyone who owns uh, one of these vehicles, this could be really annoying because these are very expensive cars. And it could be a little bit concerning if you're shopping for a new electric car. Do you go with one of these brand new companies that are seemingly making these really cool cars that can beat a Tesla in a lot of ways in terms of like interior fit and finish and you know, paint and all this stuff and even USB ports, which <laughs> Tesla has struggled with in the past. But uh, is it really worth the risk if, you know, a few months down the line, you could get it recalled? Even uh, established manufacturers like Chevrolet had an issue with their their Bolt EUVs where all those had to be recalled as well. So 
yeah, there's definitely a lot of companies struggling, uh, especially the new ones. But it 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 kind of it's kind of interesting to see if any of these guys will be able to survive, if they'll be able to get these cars out. Similar to what we were saying with with PlayStation, you know, anything they they make, they they seem to be selling. I feel like it's the same thing with Rivian and and Lucid. If they can make these cars, they'll they'll get sold. But you know, clearly they're struggling with that right now. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, how do you feel about the the constant recalls we seem to be seeing with electric vehicles, especially new cars? We've had issues with cars blowing up in the past. Really? Does this dissuade you from electric cars at all? Or do you think, hey, just go with a reputable brand and, and you'll be okay? Yeah, it does dissuade me a bit. But at least the, I don't, the more recently I've been thinking about electric cars, the more I've been thinking about going with a reputable brand. Um, mm. You know, originally it was, okay, Tesla is best electric vehicle that there is if you're going to get an electric vehicle you got to get a tesla but you know as as we've seen they've had problems with their fit and finish they've had problems putting usb-c chargers in cars and you know recently on the podcast we even talked about how the mustang mach-e took the number one spot from tesla in terms of the best electric vehicle for consumers so i think it became evident it's become more evident recently that making cars is hard. I'm sure a lot of people know that, but making cars is hard, especially when you don't have a history of doing it. And that kind of, it's been exemplified by Tesla. It's kind of shown that, Hey, companies like Ford companies, like Porsche companies, like Mercedes that have a history of making vehicles they definitely have an advantage. You know, they know how to make good vehicles. They know how to, they know how to put them together. They know how to have, you know, um, I guess high production quality vehicles. But I think, you know, seeing this most recent recall from Lucid and then seeing the trouble that Rivian's running into, I think it also kind of points out how, how successful Tesla has been. You know, it kind of, I'm not going to lie, I've been a bit of a Tesla hater, but I think seeing Lucid struggle, seeing Rivian struggle, not to, you know, there's countless other electric vehicle companies that try and launch or that have a prototype that never actually ship any cars. And the fact that Tesla, you know, a, a new up and coming company, I mean, not so up and coming right now, but compared to the legacy car manufacturers they are, but to see They've been able to launch vehicles. They've been able to deliver vehicles. They've been able to iterate, you know, SUVs, hatchbacks, crossovers. And they there are plenty of Teslas on the road. I think this recent news from Lucid really kind of shows me, okay, maybe I'm, I should give Tesla more credit than I've been giving them in the past. Because, you know, for all the jokes we make, they are still shipping vehicles. They are still manufacturing vehicles. And yeah, you may not be able to charge your phone in the vehicle, but they're still very good, high quality, maybe not the best quality vehicles out there. Um, Mm -hmm. So I guess in a roundabout way, I am a little bit worried about electric vehicles, but it kind of, I think the last time we talked about this, I said, if I were to buy an electric vehicle, it would be the Mustang Mach-E right now because it has less problems. I guess 
I know what I'm getting. I know that I'm getting what I'm paying for. And, you know, it's a sporty car, electric, plenty of storage room, plenty of leg space, let's say, you know. Um, and it's from a company that has a history of making vehicles. So yeah. I don't think this is the end for Lucid. And, you know, the fact that it's only 1%, I think you said it was. It's only like around 1% of their vehicles. I think it's a good thing. And I think the fact that they're recalling all of them just to make sure that it's only 1% is definitely a good sign. And I'm sure they could have tried to sweep this under the rug, which would be very mm -hmm. troubling. But I think the electric vehicle industry has a long way to go still. Maybe at least the newer companies, maybe with the newer companies, we're not as far along as we originally thought, or maybe at least I originally thought, but I think that kind of reinforces the Fords. I mean, Chevy and their bolt, eh, but reinforces Tesla. But yeah, I guess, how do you feel about electric vehicles with all of this? Are you worried for the industry at large? Or do you think that, okay, this Lucid thing is kind of an outlier? Do you think Rivian is a bit of an outlier? Uh, it does worry me a bit about the complexity of, some of these these cars like for this particular issue you know the lucid has this large panel of glass that goes over the driver and stuff like that and essentially what it seems like happened here is running the cables for the screen the display your your heads up not your heads up display but your actual instrument cr cluster it seems like the design of the car makes it kind of complicated to run the wires for that screen uh and they're having maybe some issues manufacturing it, right? We've seen this in the past from from Tesla where some of their more extravagant things, uh, for example, like uh, a trim piece that might be a little bit more fancy uh, doesn't line up with another trim piece just because in order to get that to line up perfectly, it would take a little bit more time. And I think where I think this major issue is is that in order to compete with Tesla, a new company like a Lucid and like a Rivian need to be better than Tesla and need to be fancier and need to be more extravagant. And I think that adds more complexity to the build of the vehicle, kind of like a comparison between like a McDonald's and like a really fancy burger place. McDonald's, anyone can make a burger at McDonald's. It's designed to be as simple as possible, an assembly line kind of a thing. And I think a lot of these companies, although they can make really cool concepts and really cool one-offs, when they have to produce these vehicles on a large scale, that's when these issues start to happen. And that's probably why we see things like the Tesla Model S and Model X Plaid get announced years and years after the Cybertruck and the Roadster, but come out who knows how long before them, because they're a lot less complex than a Cybertruck or a Roadster. Where, where I feel is I don't necessarily think that vehicles with tons of lithium underneath them uh, should be, it goes back to the repair issue, right? I, I don't think there's enough conversation about what happens to these batteries when they're, they're no longer necessary. What is the recycling process? What is, and I think if that particular conversation was happening before these cars came out, as opposed to how much horsepower they have and how fast they are from zero to 60, I might be a little bit more uh, happy with electric vehicles, but yeah. To me, that's a huge problem that has not been addressed. That could just be a huge environmental factor, despite the fact that these companies are, or these cars are being advertised 
as environmentally friendly. It, it kind of reminds me a lot of, of Apple's marketing where they talk about the environment, but then they, they, you know, do things that make their devices a lot less environmentally friendly. Mm-hmm. I feel the same way about these large batteries in these vehicles. Um, so yeah, I've, I've always been a little bit, you know, negative on electric cars, more positive on, on plug-in hybrids. I think that's a, a great middle ground. But overall, you know, we're seeing the F-150 Lightning being shipped to people right now. And the reason why is because it's an F-150. It's a simple vehicle that, uh, you know, they know how to build and they know how to build well. Mm-hmm. And who knows, maybe we will get a, a recall of the F-150 Lightning in the future. Hopefully not. But at the end of the day, it isn't a super complex vehicle. And I think that's where uh, a lot of these these companies might be able to shift is that when the non super expensive lucid air comes out or the next Rivian that doesn't need to be the most extravagant vehicle in the world and they can be simpler and you know, they can sell these vehicles just based off the brand name, kind of like what Tesla does now. I think that's when we'll get to the point where we can be like, yeah, uh, electric cars have come a long way. They're reliable. They're really good, but I don't think we're there yet. I think we're still kind of in the specs war of electric cars. And I don't think that's really, good for producing a lot of electric cars very quickly yeah and yeah in terms of producing it quickly also right the more complexity you add not only does it okay it opens up room for error in terms of okay maybe there's a wiring issue maybe there's panel gapping issues but then also just producing vehicles like you said you know it's a lot harder to to design and to manufacture and to deliver all these super extravagant vehicles but you know it's brought up a good point the ford f-150 lightning ford knows how to make a lot of f-150s so they can pump them out and you know i think we mentioned a couple of episodes ago about gm and honda partnering to to produce electric vehicles still waiting on that honda civic hybrid or honda civic ev i guess and it's going to be something where it's okay you don't need to completely reinvent the wheel you have a very very well selling wheel, put a battery on it, sell it like hotcakes. And put a yoke in it. Oh god no. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I think I hope Lucid learns. I hope other companies learn from Lucid and you know learn from all these other EV companies that are trying to do these hyper complex, super cool, super innovative things and you know like you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You don't need a yoke. Just regular old steering wheel. Just a regular old car. And, you know, hey, like you said, let's put a little bit more thought. Let's put a little bit more research and development into how we're going to deal with these batteries afterwards. I'm sure that if a company like GM, like Honda, like Toyota, or maybe even a brand new company comes out, and their marketing is, hey, we have a way to recycle these batteries. We have a way to deal with these batteries after the after the usable lifetime of them. And that's their thing. It's not, oh, you know, our car can go zero to 60 miles per hour in under two seconds. Or, yeah. you know, we have this all glass panel and we have a self-driving vehicle. It's, no, it's just a vehicle to get you from point A to point B. And we know what we're doing with our batteries afterwards. If that's their marketing gimmick, I'm sure they would do very well. And then who knows? Maybe like Framework, maybe like Steam Deck, maybe they change up the industry. Maybe if someone comes up and they're, 
you know, some company comes out and they're saying, hey, no one else is talking about this. We need to know how we're handling these batteries after the cars are, after the, you know, they're done their usable lifetime in the car. This is how we're going to do it. Maybe that causes Tesla, causes Ford, causes, you know, Porsche, Mercedes to say, oh, wait, these little guys figured it out. We've got to show that we're caring about this too. Yeah. And it could be something like the right to repair renaissance that's going on. You know, beautiful term, by the way. Great term. Alliteration and everything. Um, but yeah, maybe someone who is less prominent needs to make that a focus of their product. And then once the bigger companies, once the established automakers see that, hey, people care about this, maybe they'll start caring about it too. Uh, any closing statements? No, I, I think uh, what you said there sums it up perfectly. Um, uh, I'm really excited to see, hopefully, uh, a future of, of much cooler electric cars. Maybe this one thing Mercedes is doing with the EQXX, the one that you mentioned you're really into, is efficiency over everything, right? So they don't need giant batteries. Uh, definitely be really cool to see what that is. But yeah, uh, to anyone out there, you know, let let us know. What do you think? Is the future of electric vehicles what do you want to see from electric vehicles is it smaller batteries is it thousand kilometer or thousand mile range like i'm kind of curious to see what people actually want from electric cars going forward yeah hit this up on twitter uh, take it easy everyone in podcast land catch you in the next episode